And it's because you've been told something for so long that then you start to believe it. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. I. Something settles. So today's guest is a lovely man named Costa Zachariah. He uh, he is he grew up in Adelaide, um, and he started to discover in high school that things were a little bit different. And this really is a very touching story of a man that has come out of of the, of the closet um, in a highly religious yet loving family and tried to discover himself through that. And I think sexuality and mental health are, uh, you know, are very, very closely aligned and we want to tell more stories like this that uh, enable people going through it to know that they're not alone. Today we cover, yeah, the battle of religion and sexuality, the moment of acceptance from his father is a very touching moment. Um, seeing someone in flesh and blood live the life that you want and the amount of belief that comes from from that when Costa saw a living embodiment of someone who was proudly gay finally gave him the, him the courage to do the same and i think really this is this is a journey of someone who's learned to love himself and for me that's a beautiful gift to give to the world um so it's my honor and privilege to introduce Costa and uh i hope you enjoy our conversation Costa, welcome to the Heart on My Sleeve podcast, mate. It's awesome to have you on. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Are you keeping somewhat sane during the COVID period? I am, you know. I've figured out ways to um, keep fit with all sorts of different types of equipment around the house, <laughs> making sure I go out for runs and music is is the key, I find. Music is definitely the key. Music is the key of life. <laughs> and yeah. You're about to launch a new... Um, Barber shop, which got delayed. How's yeah. that feeling? Yeah, building sites get delayed at the best of times, and then you throw COVID nineteen into it. So it has been um, exciting, frustrating, slow, fast—just all of the emotions, I guess. Um, and you know, when we're going out mm. on such a a new um, a new journey, it's always you know a bit nerve wracking and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a, a whirlwind, as I'm sure everyone has experienced in some form. So we're excited. We're a few weeks away from opening. Um, it's slowly taking shape and, you know, things are coming together. Furniture's coming and, you know, all the fun stuff starts to happen from now. So we're pretty pumped. And even though we have to obviously, you know, adhere to all the new protocols and distancing measures, we are excited and ready to go. So there's light at the end of the tunnel now. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been a, it's been a weird few few couple of months, I guess, for everyone. Mm. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Had had a bit of a rough trot recently, but I um I uh, have learned a lot out of it. And one yeah. of the things that gives me a lot of passion and confidence is hearing people's um, stories. And I know that you have an amazing story to share. And 
Um, I'd love it if you could start off just by telling us a little bit about like where you grew up, what, what, who, who is Costa? Take me back mm. to the beginning. No, I've been trying to figure that out for a long time, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I'm uh, mid-30s now. I was born in Adelaide. Um, I'm of Greek heritage. Uh, I've got a brother uh, and I grew up in a, the foothills of Adelaide, if you like. Um, 90s kid, you know. Uh, and it was, yeah, I had a, a pretty epic, fun childhood that I always sort of look back on and I'm very grateful for, especially as I get older. I see so much pain and heartache around and, you know, being grateful for where, you, where you've come from or what, what you, the morals and values that you've been taught is super important. And I, it's funny, I don't know if you can relate, but as I get older, I can feel them clicking into, like, into my moral core even more every time I go through something um, that, that hurts me or, you know, a, a tricky time in my life. Those moral, moral sort of reminders are embedded, which I'm well, very what, what are some of those? What are some of those? Let, let's start with the fond memories. What What are some fond memories of growing up in Adelaide? Oh, good old Adelaide. Um, well, it was, you know, I had, like we lived, like I said, I lived just out of the city. So it was really green. I had lots of places to run around and ride my bike in the street and just the usual stuff that you'd imagine, you know. Um, and it was, um, you know, f friends that lived around the corner and, you know, street parties and all that kind of stuff, which I kind of think sometimes is almost dying off a little bit now. Some people don't know their neighbours' names, which I find quite sad. Were you the uh, party kid? Were you, were you like a really outgoing social kid or were you more introverted? Um, as a child? child, I mean, I've always been um, a singer. So I've been singing since I was about seven. And I okay. still write and produce music now. And it's just one of my absolute sort of go-tos when I need to remind myself of who I am. Um, mm. But anyway, I was the singer. I was the you know choir boy. I was all those you know typical cliche um, black sheep kid things. But at that time, it didn't bother me at all. I was just completely in the flow. And you know, it wasn't until high school I think that you really noticed that oh maybe you're not you know you're not following the crowd or the go-to um, cutout that you should for a teenage boy. You know, so you know the the issues became. What do you mean later. by that? Um, I guess it's, you know, and I hate sounding cliche, but, you know, the whole point of not playing football or not playing sports and, you know, always um, uh, auditioning for the musicals and just, you know, just being a little bit not butch, <laughs> if that's, a, if yeah. that's a, a weird way of explaining it. But, not yeah, traditional so, masculine. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, having all that sort of creative energy was great as a child and I'm super grateful for now, but in that in-between period of um, adolescence, it definitely was a challenge to fit in. Do you remember in. a time, do you remember a time where you, where you thought like, like a specific moment in high school where you're like, holy shit, I really don't fit in right now. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, and a lot of gay guys will probably relate to this, that in high school, I was always friends with the girls. And it became it was very easy to be friends with the girls, and it it came naturally, and so it was a mixture of all of a sudden I had all these sort of girlfriends, and and then the guys were somehow jealous, 
And so I was copying this, you know, you're copying this kind of like envy almost, but it's coming out as um, aggravation. So that was probably the first thing. I was like, oh, well, this is not normal. And they all wish they could be friends with the girls, but uh, for different reasons, you know. So I guess that was yeah. the first thing. Um, and then, you know, eventually it snowballs. But high school was okay. It wasn't like, you know, this isn't sort of the story, but um, I've somehow diverted onto, onto this. But this was definitely the beginning of, oh, something's different and then something's uh, ch challenging, I guess, challenging me. Okay, so the the early signs of something was different was that you um, you had a lot more girlfriends, you felt more comfortable with them, mm -hmm. um, you weren't doing the traditional stuff like sports and beating your chest against the you know in the yeah. playground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was there was that um, was that what was that experience like? Was that like oh, I'm okay with it, I'm different, or was it like creating some type of distress inside you? Well, I was okay with it until other people weren't okay with it. You know, it didn't okay. bother me. I was having a ball. I was, you know, laughing with the girls, and you know, I had guy friends as well. But it, I was just like almost the center of attention in their world because I was like this funny, creative, cr crazy friend. You know, so I was having a ball. Mm. But it wasn't until someone else became uncomfortable with it that I was then challenged. Was that a specific person or a specific time? Um, I would dare say, yeah. Oh, no, it was from the beginning of high school, I have to say. And, yeah, no, it was, it was a general energy, I think. That you yeah. received from other blokes in your class? Yeah, yeah. And what, what are some of the things that they would do or say? Oh, you know, it's all the it, – to be awfully cliche, it is those typical things like, you know, name-calling or, you know – just intimidating, um, you know, trying to trying to make you buckle, um, humiliating, all those kinds of things that you would absolutely fear, especially first year of high school. Um, yeah. But you know, again, this this is this is the funny part because I um I, I feel like that that was the beginning. Um, and, you know, everyone's got a high school story, but it wasn't until I became like a grown, like an adult, I guess, once I sort of hit the 18 mark and I was like, then my demons came in to the picture. Up okay. until then, it was other people's uncomfortable um, or it was other people's insecurities that, that tortured them, you know, to then attack me. But then when I became of age, I started to attack myself. Right. Okay. So there was this switch almost when you became an adult, it went from, I'm, you know, I'm being hated by others and now I'm starting to hate myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's when okay. it started to scare me. Yeah. And so talk to me if, if you feel comfortable a little bit around like what those early conversations of that, that hatred self-talk toward you sounded like. Um, I would say first and foremost, um, it was a, a lot about, like it was a bit of shame. So I would try not to let it show. But inside, I think I was, my self-talk was just so, so way off. And it was just uh, building into further, you know, further self-hatred, I guess, if that's the thing. Uh, so it was just, yeah, it would, it would just snowball. And over time, I think I was writing such a, internal narrative and negative narrative about myself that I, you know, I went down the path of um, like some body dysmorphia and I went down 
like um you know food not not eating and you know there was and then i had a bit of a party stage which i think is um actually opened my eyes quite a bit um and made me a little mm. bit more street smart than i thought i or maybe more than i wanted to know but um it yeah it was the negative self talk and then eventually once i started sort of going out and partying if you like i i then was vocal about it you know and it was very clear that i was in pain and something was wrong and i had to um i had to crack this somehow and that's when i decided to uh, come out which uh was liberating and petrifying <laughs> So, so what age? Let's go. Let's go back a bit before you come out. So, so what age did you know I'm gay? Because in high school you were saying, you know, you were doing things that were different. But at that stage, did you think to yourself, oh, I'm gay, and this all makes sense, or were you just like, oh, I'm not sure? Uh, I think a lot of gay guys have this recollection where almost you've almost always known. Like even if I look back to memories when I was. in year like 3 like i remember things but not knowing what but now looking back on those memories it makes sense to me um you know the just before you even know what sex is like you know you just um you you realize this so in a sense i feel like i always have yeah i always have been and i went through you know all the psychologist stuff of you know is it nature is it nurture is it um what is it why 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 is it like this and what's the reason you know and a lot for a long time god bless my parents were fixated on why is has this happened why are you like this you know and what what age were you when that when that conversation started happening with your parents when they started asking why are you like this so i dare say as soon as i came out pretty much um uh, this story is to me is more about uh, knowledge and empathy as opposed to prejudice or homophobia because i just feel like yeah. at the time my parents just didn't have the knowledge to understand how to deal with it you know um and i Definitely. should also say i did mention before but obviously i'm greek so i've come from a very religious greek upbringing you know where the church tells you what's right and wrong and um anything like this would just completely spin you know their their religious core moral core everything so especially being their son i you know it's like this is way too close to home so they immediately went into um why what can we do to fix um you know our disease our drugs you know and i understand they lived through h like through aids you know they saw that and that's the that's the narrative the world painted for them so I guess it was it came from worry came from care but they initially they would their initial thought was oh he's going to die of aids he's going to get he's going to get messed up on drugs you know um all those things and uh yeah so it that's why I say it's knowledge it's a story of knowledge because they just had no idea how to deal with it they'd never experienced anything like it and they didn't know they didn't have the power to understand what to do yeah okay and so Yeah that's hard when you have a um for but for both parties by the way for mm, for you it's hard absolutely. because the people you love most you want to fully embrace you and accept you and celebrate you and mm. for them they're wanting to interact with you in a certain way keep you safe and they've obviously not known a lot about what this is and so mm. 
they've got their own their own journey and their own story as part of that. Exactly. And I've always tried to remember that as opposed to judge them because they they'd never been through anything like this. And I hadn't either at this point. You know, it was such a new thing for all of us. And I think we all just threw our hands in the air and we're like, oh, too hard. You know? Yeah. And and so um before you before you've come out, you said that around eighteen. What age did you come out? Uh, nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, so eighteen, nineteen is when the self negative self talk started and the party stage happened. Mm. Um, do you remember? Do you remember like what the hardest part or the lowest point of that period was for you? Yeah. Um, I would say having that religious core of you're going to burn in hell, this is evil, you're evil, everything you are is wrong, it makes perfect sense as to why I went down that path. And mm. um, Is that where the hate was coming from? Was it coming from that ethically and morally you thought it was wrong because religion wouldn't look good upon it or was it that you wanted to be a different way or what was it i guess in some sense i and not now but back then i probably we would have clipped my fingers and yeah made it go away and just been you know a normal straight boy <laughs> um mm -hmm. whatever that means um so uh yeah it definitely it definitely was i, I definitely would have made it all go away but i think i don't know i think it was def it was just a mixture of you know having all of that upbringing of what you're supposed to become um and then the the crap from s the school and then putting it all together and realizing that i was the common denominator therefore i must be the wrong i'm the wrong factor here so mm. that's when i th i realized i think i turned on myself because i was like well everyone else says so you know, so that was, right. that was shit. That was a shit time. And I dare say that was probably like the, the rock bottom of it. Yeah, sure. And so, so this, this hate was really coming from wanting to fit in and also not wanting to be in opposition to your fairly rigid um, religious beliefs growing up around how, how homosexuality was demonic almost. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about how religion played a part in that? Yeah, well, I I think um, that was one of the biggest demons for me or biggest hurdles because um, I have faith and I, um, I still do and it's just a part of me and, you know, whatever is, you call it energy, God, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, I have my name for it. And... I, mm -hmm. um, I had to reconcile my, my faith with my sexuality because it's a, it seems a rarity to, I guess, people don't imagine that you could be a believer and gay, you know, you know, I had to, I had to reconcile that because I just didn't understand how I could be put, you know, put here and then have, want to have faith, but being turned away at the door because of something I couldn't control. So I had to find a... So you're in this tension almost. Yeah, it was line. like complete tension. It was internal and it was it was all of the above. So, um, you know, 
I had to find and actually found a group of people that uh, like an organization um, similar to yours, but just a different topic, I guess, that had been through the same kind of thing. And it was a very short lived union with them, but I found them at the right time and the right place. And it helped me. It seriously was the turning point for me to make peace with my faith and my beliefs. Wow. Um, so, and I guess that's why I'm doing this today because I actually have never told anyone to this length and so publicly my story. So it, um, I guess if there's a, you know, young, young guys out there that are, that have got this sort of religious upbringing or there's all this turmoil, um, you know, Greek or not, if they hear this, hopefully they understand. And, you know, I guess I'll get to how it's all ended. Um, and, and the, the salvation of it, if you like, with my folks and with everything and all that. Um, but that should give them some hope. You're really doing this and telling your story because you want to play a part in someone's journey to let them know that they're not alone, just like that organization or those group of people did for you at the time. So, exactly. so what, what did they do? Like what were some of the things that they did or said in order to help you reconcile? Well, I think it was the sheer, uh, the sheer sense of community. So the fact that I wasn't the only person going through this, because at the time I thought I was, and I know that sounds silly because how could you be in this such a large population? But I, mm -hmm. I just didn't, I had never heard anyone in my circle or anyone that had been through this kind of story and, and had to make peace with these like total contrast, um, contrasting topics. So I, you know, I think it was, and it, I didn't really, I don't remember many of their like other, um, they never put anything forward as such. It was just meeting with me, with, with these people and just sharing stories. And it was, I think it was just the fact that I had met other people like that, which is, I guess the reason why, like I said, I'm doing this because hopefully someone might hear it and think, Oh, okay. Cause it is a, quite a unique blend of measures um and it definitely it yeah it definitely uh helped me to find other people going through the same so thing so how did how, how did you drop the narrative that being gay makes you evil how did you work through that yeah um so i the way i fi i figured that was um that this is a good question let me just kind of think about this a bit yeah, take a, take a moment. Yeah. So I realized that everyone that had told me that it was evil or that it was going to send me to hell or wherever it was going to send me hmm. hadn't, it wasn't gay. Wasn't, uh, couldn't they relate. Gay. They weren't gay. And that's why I say it's, this is a story of knowledge and empathy because I realized that this was their lack of knowledge, lack of empathy, lack of understanding what someone else was going through, that they just couldn't couldn't relate. So they went back to the only knowledge that they had been given to deal with this kind of topic, which was, for example, their parents may have said it when they were young or the church told them or whatever, that gay is wrong, gay is evil. So that's... Like that's why knowledge is so important and you should never lock yourself away 
from learning or speaking to all types of people in all walks of life because everyone's going to give you an insight that you may not have had, which will then increase your knowledge and also your empathy at the same time. So I feel like mm. I realized that it was it was actually lack of then uh, it was their lack it was their lacking it wasn't actually my wrongdoing yeah yeah definitely what an amazing thing to finally let in and accept and yeah wholeheartedly believe that I'm not wrong for this that, yeah. that would have been amazing well it just didn't make sense to me as to how I could be in so much pain so much inner turmoil want to be you know inverted per uh, inverted commas like a good person or a believer or whatever it might be how could any of that see a bad emotion or a bad feeling and then I realized where the seed was coming from you know where and it wasn't coming from me yeah because right. all of my foundations were love or you know wanting to be okay so I realized mm. that the negative the evil the hell the devil was actually not coming from me at all and not to say mm. it was coming from them and they're evil but it was that was the knowledge that they had yeah it was just kind of being passed around from person to person and someone yeah. was, was 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 you know being expected to take ownership where exactly. no one actually needed to take ownership of no. that that badness no that's right and i thought i did I, I thought i had to take it on because they told me so but i actually didn't mm. And it actually it yeah, works in other forms of you know in, in, in any form in, in a friendship or in this or in that if if you're feeling judgment from someone, it most cases it's because of their un, their lack of understanding or their lack of experience with this topic. So, you know that's when I that's why I, I urge if anyone is relating to this to take a step back and remember it's, it may not actually be it, it probably isn't anything that you've done. It's just a fact that they can't cope so they have then passed yeah. on that judgment and if you actually like my, my reflection is if you dig into it you were you were never that unhappy with yourself you just started to believe everything that you were being yeah. told around how you're not a good person but exactly. deep down you you did believe you were a good person and that you know you, you felt like you had to trade off i'm yeah. either a good person or i'm gay and then that was where the split was coming from. And it, it wasn't until you, you said to yourself, I can be a good person and a gay person. Yeah. And I'm going to let myself be that despite what, where, where everything on the outside is coming from that you exactly. actually fully lived as Costa. Exactly. And it's because you've been told something for so long that then you start to believe it. You know, it's that old story. But, um, yeah, yeah it was definitely... Uh, the aha moment, if you like. <laughs> yeah, because as a kid, yeah. I was loving life. I was happy singing Sound of Music. <laughs> I was happy singing yeah. songs, you know, that stuff. It never crossed my mind, you know what I mean? It was just once other people's mm. issues came in. <laughs> so really, your, your, your big realisation was you can be good and gay. Yeah, you can be good and gay, that's it. And, and being okay with that. A few years later, I, I found a, a sort of a scapegoat, if you like, and I moved to Melbourne because it was, it was an, um, I was recommended to go see a nun. <laughs> this is always a wow. good story. Um, and the nun, God bless her, she dealt with people like um, re, 
uh, rehab, like drug rehab, um, uh, physical abuse, you know, all those kinds of bad things that happen. And she had dealt with, you know, even uh, like ex-cons and things like that. And then I was sent to her, you know, so that alone kind of shows where, where the people thought I was at, you know, um, yeah, and I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. Yeah. Um, but anyway, mm. so and like, you know, again, I'll say she was lovely. She was a lovely, lovely woman and she was super soft and gentle, but the ultimate bottom line was that she told me, you know, if I didn't change my ways, I was going to burn in hell. And she mm. gave me two books. One book was called, um, coming out of homosexuality, which is ultimately straight camp in a book and um, the other one was called breaking an addiction so again this is where she's coming from and to her this is an unhealthy addiction and this is something that you must break out of so I started reading this book and like at this point I was I probably 20 and um, you know so much going on in my head as it is and then I started reading this book and I think I read I don't even know why but I read a chapter of it and then it was telling me about you know how to choose the straights, you know, choosing right socks in the morning and not the gay socks and, you know, how to choose the straight clothes and not the gay clothes. And I'm thinking, fuck, wow. I'm going nuts here. Like, I, and I remember I, yeah. I, um, I, I just threw them out. I threw them out and I, I met a boy and I moved to Melbourne and I was like, too hard, I can't do this. This is just going to fuel my, you know, my self-loathing in more than it has to. So I moved to Melbourne and How got, did you do that though? Uh, I want to pick up on that point. Yeah. So, so a nun's telling you to be straight. You're literally reading books that are telling you deny, 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 suppress. It's bad. It's wrong. Yeah. Increasing that pressure, that 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 um that melting pot. But then you decided on your own, I'm going to throw this out and be mm. gay and move to Melbourne with a boy. Like that's a big decision. How did you do that? Uh, I think two things. First of all, like I said, I've always been a singer, so I I um I frequently went to Melbourne for songwriting trips and I worked with um, and still do work with some great producers there. And so I was going to Melbourne um, and I, and we went out one night and I, I met a boy at a club, you know, so that kind of happened subsequently to all this. Um, and I guess meeting a boy like that really caught my eye and I was like, Oh, this could be, this could be great. It kind of gave me this hope. And this boy at the time, uh, was full of life and color and he was n completely comfortable with himself, completely comfortable right. with himself. And it was just like everything I wanted to be, if that makes sense, you know? So I think his, his liberation, even though he had his demons as well as we all do, but, um, his, his sheer color made me like mm. attracted me, like it, it pulled me in. So I, think I came home and I, this is all a bit gray, but it was, it all kind of happened within a few weeks of themselves. And I was like, no, nah, I found my happiness. I found it. I don't need this. And I, you know, I threw it out. And the other part of it was the fact that I don't think deep down, I thought I had a problem. Like I said, it was always other people's issue with me. So I think there was a bit of strength there that was like, you know, once I'd met this boy, I was like, well, hang on a minute. I'm not, too bothered you know why am I pushing myself to this length you know maybe I have to work on my self-love but I don't want to be straight if that makes sense you know I'd come to this frustration mm. point where I was like ah I don't care anymore just go away I just yeah. want to have a good time so I moved to Melbourne for four years 
And, you know, that was probably a very hard time for my parents because they'd lost control of, like, they lost track of me, if that makes sense. You know, I would only contact mm. and any of my family until when I was ready or, you know, it was a, when I'd visit Adelaide, it would be, it would be on, you know, the way I wanted to present myself, you know. So I took power back by leaving, if that makes sense, but it was running away. I, I see that now. So that I, I really relate to something you said there, which was that it wasn't until you saw another person who'd gone through the exact same thing as you, completely liberated mm. in 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 that version of themselves, that you started to believe, holy shit, this could be me, because I'm mm. I'm now witnessing a living, breathing reality of yeah. of my of my hopes and dreams. And, yeah. You know, for me, that was seeing a guy who'd been through depersonalization and OCD and anxiety, completely liberated with it and thriving. That was literally the turning point in my life being like, fuck, yeah. you know, th it's possible to be okay with this, not just okay with it, but thrive despite it. Yeah. It's um, an example for you and you just instantly yeah. gravitate towards it. Yeah. Cause it, it's, you know, it's no longer conceptual. It's real. Like you can, yeah, it's proof, you can see living it in proof. the flesh. It's living yeah. proof. Exactly. And so, so you, you then, you, you use that living proof along with your own internal belief, although that, that flame had been stifled at times, but your core belief that was at the core of who you are, I am okay and I'm allowed to be this and this is who I am. And you combined those things together to take the power back. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure sometimes that might've felt like that you were being rebellious and sometimes you might've been overly aggressive with, with that stance in order to take the power back what, mm. what was that like for you when you say uh aggressive how do you mean like a with well i mean that like um if someone's told you no for so long mm. and then you finally fall into yes yeah. then um and this might not have been your experience i yeah, don't mean yeah. aggressive as in like yelling and hitting but i mean like you know what now I have the power. I'm gonna really say fuck you oh, by yeah, like yeah. not giving you any of my presence. Yeah, and middle like, finger you know, up. Now I've kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah, I'm, no, now I'm fucking really leaning into this. Yeah, oh, 100. And that's exactly what I did when I moved to Melbourne. I was like, you know, I I think it was I was acting at the beginning because I was like I just wanted to be so free. And I moved there and I was just like telling everyone, you know, and I was like, I'm here and this is it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gay and I'm going to be in Melbourne and it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was definitely yeah. like, it was the, yeah, it was the flip side. I think it was like, you know, the kettle had boiled and it was like, now it was time to just let it, <laughs> let it go. And I did, um, yeah. for better or worse, you know, looking back on that time, it was a, like I said, I, it was a, a little bit negative and probably not the healthiest situation to be in. You know, but when you're young and don't fully love yourself yet, you do put up with certain things. And, Definitely. And that was that. But then, see, after that, when I I'd moved back to Adelaide after four years and then I was faced with my relationship with my parents again. And at this point, I had, you know, I, we, I'd broken up with this boy and, you know, I had done a little bit more soul searching and I had found this group that I had told you about. So I had, I was, I came back to Adelaide a different person and I was, it was around the time of gay marriage um, in America and uh, there was a massive petition going on around my church to stop the gay marriage happening in the Greek Orthodox Church, you know. Wow. Um, so, you know, there was, uh, there was all these emails going around and I was, you know, my, my family, and when I say family, not like even my uncles and aunties and stuff, all that, you know, it was, 
some of them, um, were very, you know, pro this. They were signing petitions and this and that. And to be fair, I'd never officially come out to my extended family at this point. But um, I was, it was like I'd come back to Adelaide and I was like, I felt like, you know, I was saying to my parents, what? Like, I don't want to see this stuff on anyone's computer at home. I don't want to see this in the house. Like, I think I had found mm. the strength to then face and confront my parents in a different manner with understanding and, and not not fear. Do you know what I mean? I was like, well, look, this is unacceptable for me. I'm not prepared to put up with this because I'm comfortable. I've come a long way internally and I feel like you haven't. You know, so there was this whole turmoil thing. And, um, and eventually uh, they we all agreed to go to a group therapy session. And this is why I say like the love has always been there. Um, and I think mm. that no matter how much turmoil you have with a friend, a family, whoever it is, a lover, if the love is there and the understanding isn't, you will get through it together because the foundation is love. So I never yeah, felt wow. once that my parents never loved me. I never felt that. I felt their fear. So they were always on board. Like when, when I said, I think we need to go to a sesh together and, you know, went to a psychologist and they were there. They were on time. We were always there. Like they were never, they would never let me down like that. And they wanted to understand, you know. Mm. And that was a huge, huge turning point with the, fa the fact that the three of us were sitting in a, in a therapist's office together talking about it. It was actually, to me, that was one of the biggest, biggest turning points for me with my parents because I realised in that moment that, the love is there and mm. it wasn't a matter of I've disappointed them or I've done this I've done that I could see that they weren't it was their issue at this point and then one of my most fond memories uh, one of my most fond memories ever ever is random my father's got the most weird sense of time he's got no tact god bless him he just pulls things out at the most weirdest unexpected moment so i was going getting ready for work this is probably six months after the therapy session and i was getting ready for work i was probably running a little bit late and he stopped me and said in his sweet greek accent you know costa sit down and i was like what i've got to go i'm running late <laughs> and he said to me sit down i need to talk to you and then he goes to me, I want you to be happy now. <laughs> he said, I don't want you to wait for me. You know, I don't want you to wait for anyone else. I don't I want you to be happy now. I don't want you to I don't want you to wait because I can't understand it. I don't want you to wait because of you know things that we're dealing with. He goes, I just want you to be happy now. So do it to so go and go and be happy, you know? And that for me was so powerful because my father seemed so uncomfortable with this topic for so many years. I never thought that one day on the way to work, he would sit me down and realize that this was something that he had to deal with. And he really, really wanted me to just go and do my thing and not be upset because they were upset, you know, just go and be happy now. And that was what it. What was that like for you? Uh, I was elevated. Like it was, it was just pure love. And, mm. um, and that was all I needed to hear, you know, and even now to this day, you know, um, I'm engaged to a great, great man. And my family came to my engagement party in Sydney and 
my, you know, and having them that, that morning of my engagement, I, I was having such a full circle moment because all of these things that I've spoken about and I've, you know, this is going over like 25 years of stuff. Um, all of these things were replaying in my head, all of them from the, I ate myself to the, you know, to the nun, to the face my dad pulled when I told him I was gay, <laughs> like all of this stuff, all of these years of build up. And I was sitting in my own room thinking, this is the day I'm engaged to a man and my parents and my family and everyone's coming, you know? And if you told me mm. that when I had come out to my family, I would not have believed you. And I, again, I'm not vilifying them because it's not about that, but I just couldn't, I was just so grateful. I was just so grateful that we had come to this point. And, and I think for, you know, mm -hmm. I think on, on going, my parents will always have a slight uncomfortable, you know, emotion when it comes to this topic, but we've come to a point where we understand that we don't, whatever we don't understand is okay about each other, but the love has always been there. And because we've gone through this together, it has only gotten stronger. If your folks aren't there to work through it with you, find a great therapist and talk it out with them and just work through it internally. Because once you realize that it's their issue and not yours, it frees you so much. And then in a weird way, you can almost be there for them as they go through the journey because mm. it then becomes their issue. It becomes their cross to bear. You've just got to find a way to find your internal peace within yourself because then it doesn't matter what other people think or believe, even if it is your parents, because you found that internal authenticity. Wow. Yep, I agree. It is all about getting to internal acceptance. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, gay, straight. Accepted. Yeah, and we might not be accepted by everyone, particularly the people that we want to be accepted most in our lives, which is very often our parents. Mm. Um, but we do need to we do need to lean on the people that do accept us, and we do need to see people who are living the the complete celebration, liberation mm. of whatever experience we're going through to to see them as as role models and symbols of hope. That's why um, what you're doing is so important because you're giving an avenue for people to find those people easily, easier, you know, yeah. it, to be honest, this was a long time ago. I didn't, the internet was not as fierce as it is now. And I had to struggle to find this group of people, you know, having heart on my sleeve is like a database of individuals that help you for, you know, and quite specific needs, you know, so hopefully I can become one of those people for someone else. <laughs> oh, you definitely have. Um, and you definitely are. And I'm really excited for anyone gay or straight going through something to know that, um, acceptance is possible. Mm. And most importantly, acceptance by, by self is possible. Mm. Um, you might have to I'm go really, the long way really... around, but you do, you will find it because you get fed up. Yeah. With it otherwise. Yeah, you, you might have to go the long way around. And, and I think from your story, you can see there's there's two steps forward, one step back, but mm. it's always trending in the right direction. And yeah. you've ended up now with, with an amazing um, fiancé, Colin, who I know and is a very, very good man. Yes. Nothing but respect for old CJ. <laughs> um, and 
and yeah, and and I am looking forward to to be able to share your story. And on that note, if if people do um, do relate to something that you've said, are, are you comfortable with them reaching out to you? Absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Well, where's the best place they can find you? Um, well, Instagram? I mean, I'll, I'll give my yeah, I'll give my um, my details to you to then put on online and in Instagram and. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some contact details. Yeah, cool. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, so whoever's listening to this now, if you want to reach out to Costa, um, you can find these details in the in the description Absolutely. below the yeah. recording. Cool. Um, well, mate, I really, really appreciate you um, you spending your time here today, and um, may your hmm. wedding and and all future endeavors including the new barbershop be as successful as it possibly can ah thank you mitch thank you it's very special what you're doing